Hey, um, I am Debbie Manning. I think I know most of you. I'm one of the pastors here at the table. Um, Gosh, it's good just to look out and see everybody. And Matt's right. It was so life-giving last weekend to be outside and just see the crew and new people come by and join us and worship. And it was really this beautiful time of hope when there's been moments where we've felt like, oh my, does this like matter? What are we doing here? But it was a reminder that God is good and God is faithful. And so it was just so awesome. The other thing I was going to start with is... um, I I hope that I can like stay focused on my message and hang in there because it's been a really, really, really busy week. We had, for those of you who don't know, the Manning family is this huge family. My husband's one nine. I always have to give the caveat, born in an 11-year period. And we had a wedding on Saturday. My niece Christine, our niece Christine, got married. And so all the Mannings for the first time since pre-COVID were together. It was like the first party we were actually at. And uh, I got to tell you guys, it was so much fun. And I think we figured we were on the dance floor for about four hours. And here's something for all you guys. If you just want to embarrass your kids so deeply, even I was on the dance floor doing the wobble. We were wobbling and (laughs) wobbling. And it was awesome. But we had so much fun. And you know what I loved about it? It was so life-giving. And that's what ties into tonight's message because we are talking about Jesus as the bread of life. Um, That very same thing. Now, where we start out uh, in the message, the text tonight, um, it was supposed to be another feeding. That's what the crowd thought, right? Because previous to this in the Gospel of John, Jesus had fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. And the next day, Jesus and his crew were on the other side of the lake. And somehow this, cro- this crowd sees them and kind of panics and gets themselves over there. And um, Jesus kind of gives it to them. He kind of hands it to them. And right before we start our text, there's a verse, John 6, 33. And Jesus says this, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's the foundation That's what this is about tonight, that very thing. And then right after that, he declares himself to be the bread of life. So here we are in John 6.35 and 41 through 51. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And at this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the father except The one who is from God, only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. And I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. So this group of folks, they show up and they're really hungry. You know, just the day before, Jesus had fed them all. 
And they show up and the first question they ask is, Rabbi, where did, when did you get, come from? Where did you come from? There's no like marveling at the miracle from yesterday or, or any um, gratitude over the generous gift of food from God. Or no wondering even like, who is this rabbi? It kind of sounds like they were actually a little bit worried as to where their next meal would come from or fearful that somehow they missed the boat on this one. They didn't recognize the sign, the miracle yesterday's feeding. It's almost as though they weren't able to see beyond the fish and beyond the bread. And Jesus got this. And right before our text, Jesus says, You're all, you all are looking for me. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill. Jesus saw that everyone was concerned more with their bellies than they were concerned for their own lives. The people wanted to feed themselves with bread and Jesus wanted to feed them with God. And he ends up saying, don't go for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life. Now we all know, right, that not all bread sustains and grows life. Not all bread is nutritious. But if you want to know the nutritional value of bread, what do you need to know? You need to know where it came from and what the ingredients are. Because there's all sorts of bread too that we see throughout scripture. We see the bread of adversity and the bread of mourning and the bread of being stingy and the bread of evilness and the bread of wickedness and the bread of uh, affliction. And we could go on and on and on. But at the end of the day, it comes down to two things and that there are two types of bread. There's a bread that actually sustains and nourishes our life. And there's another bread that leaves us hungry and malnourished. And I think the question we can ask ourselves today is what kind of bread are we eating? Does it fill you and nourish you? Or does it leave you feeling hungry? Because maybe we need a change in our diet. And what Jesus is saying is that the food that endures is Jesus himself. He is the bread that's broken and distributed for the life of the world. He's the bread that lasts, the bread that endures, the bread that never runs out. The bread that never goes stale or gets moldy. I am the bread of life, he tells the crowd. Whoever comes to, be, to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And here's what's important. He is offering the people himself. He's offering himself. He's the imperishable bread that nourishes and sustains the imperishable life. So that's a part of this text I think a lot of us are familiar with. A lot of us would say, yep, this is what this text is about. Jesus isn't really talking about bread, right? Jesus is really talking about he is the source of all life. And when we can come to know that, when we can lean into Jesus, when we can look to Jesus, when we can know that Jesus is the source of life, we live our lives differently, don't we? We look differently. We see ourselves and others as created in the image of God. And that changes everything about the way we live our lives in this world. We choose love and forgiveness over anger and, and retribution. We relate to people with intimacy and vulnerability rather than operating on the superficial and defensive level. 
we end up listening to the Spirit of God moving in our lives versus to our own voice. And ultimately what we seek is a full life. A full life that we know, we get in knowing Jesus. And like I said, it's really not about the bread and the fish. It's about a way of living. It's about a way of relating. It's a source of life kind of thing. And what you can't do is you cannot separate bread from the source. You can't separate the gift of the bread from the giver of the life, of our life. So I think that is all just beautiful and important and absolutely what Jesus is saying. But I think there's more to this text than that. You know, during this pandemic, my son Sammy started baking um, homemade sourdough bread from scratch. And in making sourdough bread, if you know anything about it, you, you have a starter. And a starter is like a live culture of yeast that you mix in with flour and salt and water. And the starter is already living. It's like a living thing. It has all these organisms in them that um, are reproducing and spreading as you mix it in with the flour and the water and the salt. And when those things are together, it causes the bread to rise and to grow. And this is what's so cool about it is the starter is a thing that holds the potential to become bread and to, to feed and to nourish. And it started to make me think about what if Jesus is the starter batch, is the starter in each of us? What, instead of seeing this passage and thinking it's Jesus making some exclusive claim about himself, what if it's far bigger than that? What if Jesus is giving us the recipe of how we can be more like him? How can we be the bread of the world? Because I think that's exactly how God works in the world. He, got, he works through every single one of us. And that's the both and of the passage for me. Because here's the thing with the sourdough bread. That starter, it has to be nurtured. It has to be nurtured before you throw it in with the flour and the salt and the water before it can spread through the dough. And likewise, it's when we can understand Jesus as the source of our life, when we can lean on Jesus and look to Jesus, and we can nurture that relationship, it's then that something inside us gets leavened and rises and becomes bread. What if he is teaching us what bread, the bread of life, looks like so that we can find it in the world and that we can be the bread of life for one another? Because I think that's what the fullness of this passage is actually about. Do you think you could believe that about yourself or another or God? Because sometimes I think we fail to do that. We fail to see that. And that's the problem of the religious leaders in the text that we read earlier, right? You know, they begin complaining because Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they're all saying, well, okay, yeah, we know you. Like, we know your mom and dad. We know where you come from. How, how can this be? that you've come down from heaven. And they, what they did was they made Nazareth and heaven mutually exclusive. Well, he couldn't be from heaven because he's from Nazareth. And sometimes I think in our modern day culture, we flip that. We know Jesus is from heaven. But we forget the humanity part of how God works. That it's not mutually exclusive at all. That maybe it's not one or the other, but it has to be both. Maybe Nazareth and heaven are not mutually exclusive. 
Because what if both are necessary ingredients in the bread of life? That we need both divinity and humanity to be the bread of life in the world. And for me, that ends up being the spirit, the spirit that moves in us. It's the source that gives us courage and strength and the nudge to step into that relationship with Jesus and a relationship with one another. So that's my ask. Think about all the people and relationships and experiences in your own life that have fed and nourished and sustained your life. Think about a time when someone has fed and nourished your life and I mean more than like fixing you a nice dinner. I'm talking about the kind of people that spend time and their presence with you. You know those people that are with you and they are fully in. You can see them listening with their eyes and their body and their ears. They love us and they teach us and they care for us and they encourage us. And our lives are fed and nourished by them. And sometimes it's not even what someone says or does. It's just being in his or her presence itself that is the bread. Can you think about those people that you spend time with and you walk away with and that feeling of being all filled up, like all is right in the world? Yeah, there's someone right there. I totally agree, both of you. Um, but I, uh, and this is how God always works in such amazing ways. So I was as we always do, looking at this passage all week, studying it here and there in the midst of, so we've had lots of company. I told you about this Manning family wedding and we've had company all week. And my sister-in-law, Yvonne, from Milwaukee was with us. She's been with us since last Friday. And we've had this opportunity to spend time together like we've never had before. You know, those mornings on the porch with your coffee and you start sharing stories and sharing life. And then I got, she's a therapist and she was working from out of our house all week. And I got to hear and see a little of that. And then just listening to her with her kids and listening to her with all her friends. And I got to see just this whole other deeper aspect of Yvonne. I've known her for decades. Um, and as I'm studying this, I'm realizing, oh my gosh, she is exactly what Jesus is talking about. When it, what he's talking about in believing and knowing him as the source of life and going out into the world and being the bread of life. So what I've known about Ivana is that she has always been a person of deep faith. She became a Christian in college. So my whole life I have known her as a person of deep faith. And such a testimony to that faith is that she has this big, full, beautiful life with all these beautiful pieces, but she's had a lot of hard parts of her life. She lost her mom when she was 12 years old and in many ways sort of raised herself and was very alone in all those years. And then uh, she navigated a very painful, painful divorce. And after she moved through that loss, her father, who she was very close to and the main caretaker for, passed away. And then a childhood friend who had a brain tumor and she went down to Madison and spent months with her as she died, as she went home to heaven. And I started to think about, oh, I get how Yvonne can be who she is because even with those hard parts of her story, because she understands that Jesus is the source of everything. Because the part I haven't told you about about Yvonne is I've always known that she's a shower-upper. I mean, she comes from Milwaukee for every shower and wedding and celebration and everyday life stuff. So she is someone that my family and all the other Mannings, and there are many in town, just absolutely love and adore her. And when she shows up, she is fully present to you. 
She is, she's like this. And not only does she show up for brothers and sister-in-laws and her nieces and nephews, but their children too. And just today, the funniest story. So Yvonne's been here for a week. And when my little grandkids come over, she is like fully present. Like whatever they're doing, she's in. She is in with it. And our, my grandson, Soren, who's four, um, went with Sam and Jenny. We had a little family gathering after the wedding today. And my immediate family, nobody went. I was working on my sermon and we all had other things to do, but Sam and Jenny went. And Yvonne went. And then a whole bunch of other mannings. And this afternoon when Yvonne came home, she said, oh, i got to show you this. And Jenny had told her that when they were driving home, they said, well, Soren, did you have a good time? He said, yes, but how come nobody in our family came except for Yvonne? And so in his little mind, in one week, Yvonne had become part of our little immediate family. And she became that because any moment that he was there, she was fully present. She saw him. She met him right where he was. And the shower-upper in Yvonne and something that always, always um, will stay with me is my sister four years ago when she, and many of you know the story, we found out very quickly that she was going to die in a few days. She was at our home here from Colorado, and we put the word out, and Yvonne jumped in her car and drove straight to my house and walked straight upstairs to see my sister. She's also known for having a very funny sense of humor. And walked into the door, and probably one of the last times my sister laughed before she died the next morning, looked up and said, oh, good Lord, it's you. <laughs> but that's, that's who Yvonne is. And what I witnessed this week took me to a deeper level because what I witnessed is the kind of friend she is. She was on the phone with friends that were navigating tough relationships and, and grief and loss. And I, I literally said, wow, you are an amazing friend and have so many friends. And I watch her do it with all our sister and brother-in-laws and watch her show up with her compassion. And, but that's what the bread of life is, you guys. It's like when you understand who the bread of life is, then you'll become the bread of life. And I see that in so many of you right here. It's the people who listen to your life. It's those people that give you those words of wisdom, that guidance right when you need it, the encouragement. It's those people that nourish and help you sustain your life. They're bread for you. Maybe there's someone who's helped you discover who you are when you were lost or someone who said, I forgive you. Maybe someone who believed in you when you didn't. But our lives are nourished and fed by thousands of these in thousands of small ways. So the question today I have for you is how have you been fed by the life of another. Because I think that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Throughout the Gospels, we can see Jesus feeding and nourishing life in so many ways and circumstances through his love, his presence, his mercy, his compassion, his teaching, his healing, his generosity, his wisdom. This is the bread that feeds the soul. And we're not only called to take part in that bread, we're called to be that bread. That's a life of faith. And here I think if there's one thing you can walk away from today with is this. We both eat that bread and we become it. We partake in the bread of someone else's life and our life is nourished. Our lives are sustained. Our lives are strengthened. And who would that person be for you? And the other question for you was, 
when have you been the bread of life for someone else? Remember that saying? It's probably generational. You are what you eat. If we want the life, then we need to be eating the bread of life. And if we want to bring life to another, then we need to be the bread of life. So what kind of bread will you eat this week? What kind of bread will you be for someone else this week? Holy bread for holy hunger. God's gift for God's people. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that you are the God of life. We are so grateful, God, that we call, you call us to lean on you, to lean into you, to know you, to look to you. And God, we're grateful that you call us, a community of people that know your love, to love one another, to be the bread of life for one another. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the way you love us and call us to love one another. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. My little uh, eight-year-old Wyatt, he went to Charlotte Lake Camp this week. Mm. Big deal. First time going to summer camp. Big deal for him. And so he was all kinds of emotions around it. And so was his mom and I. And um, it's funny, I was thinking about myself going to camp as a little kid and some of the counselors and mentors I had from Young Life and elsewhere. And I actually got a call from one of them a couple of weeks ago just to check in on me. I haven't talked to him in probably a year or so. Now, when I really think about it with this guy, I think like we have a lot of different opinions on a lot of different things. But when I think about him out of the gates and I received that call, I felt loved, I felt cared for, I felt remembered. There's this universal truth that I'm running into again and again, that in this age where everyone has opinions and everyone needs to take positions and everyone needs to make their uh, voice heard, there's a place, I suppose, but it's very easy to be known for your opinions. But you're going to be remembered for how you love, for the bread that you become for the world around you. And we take that invitation straight from Jesus, where the night before he was killed, he gathered with his friends. And he knew his time was running out, and he, he said, um, there, is, there is not much left for me. So there's a practice that I want you to take on to remember me to remember who you are. What's the generational phrase? You are what you eat. I thought my dad wrote that, so I'm really <laughs> disappointed right now. But essentially, like Jesus said that to the people around the table, it's important that you reroute yourself in this sacred story. Because there's 10,000 other stories outside the door that will try to sweep you up otherwise. So Jesus grabbed the bread from the center of the table, just like we are ripping the tops off of these mini cups. And he said, this is my body, and it's broken for you. Whenever you get together in the future, around this table or another table, eat this bread and remember me. So we do that together. In the same way, he reached for the glass of wine that was next to his side, and he said, this is my blood blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, the blood of the new covenant. When you get together in the future, drink this blood, wait, drink this wine, and remember me. Reroute yourself inside of my story once again. And we do that here. So this is the body of Christ broken for you, and this is the blood of Christ that's been shed for you.
Will you stand with me? As every week, one of the things that we take on as a community is we say the Lord's Prayer together, reminding ourselves that we're in this thing together. So join me. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.